0: You're listening to the Paleo NP Podcast, episode number 12. Welcome to the Paleo NP Podcast. I'm Martha, a family nurse practitioner and creator of MarthaFlorence.com. I live in Anchorage, Alaska with my boyfriend and fur children. I'm here to share my take on integrative health, nutrition, and fitness, answer your questions, and talk with health and wellness experts. You can submit your questions at MarthaFlorence.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Remember that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome back to another episode of the Paleo NP Podcast. I'm excited to talk about today's topic. Do I say that every week? Because I feel like I say that every week. Anyway, I'm excited to get into that, but first I've got something new that I'm into. This week, I am into Four Sigmatic's Reishi Mushroom Powder. I have um, had and used some of their products on and off for a while, but the Reishi isn't something that I've used regularly, mostly just because it's not something that I found a way to fit into my routine. So Reishi is really great for sleep, among other things, which is why I've actually been drinking it at bedtime. The Four Sigmatic powder does have some stevia in it, which I actually don't love, but it's not really a huge deal. So I've been mixing a packet of reishi and a little bit of cacao and some Great Lakes uh, gelatin into a mug with some hot water. So it's kind of like a reishi hot chocolate situation. And I've been enjoying that before bed for several days now. And I think that I've been pretty much sleeping the sleep of the dead, which is absolutely amazing. I've got a blog post that I'll link to that dives a little deeper into some of the benefits of some of the different mushroom powders that they have. And this is not at all sponsored. This is just a product that I really love and I feel like it does good things for my body. I also love that Four Sigmatic has made mushrooms accessible to the average person because not that long ago, if you wanted them, you had to really know your stuff and you'd end up getting some random bag of powder labeled in Chinese, and the whole thing was really pretty sketchy. So they've just really done a lot of research and made the world of mushrooms super accessible to the average person, which is great. And the company was founded by a Finn, so I love that too because I'm half Finnish, so of course I'm going to support my people. All right, Moving on. This week, I want to talk about supplementation and supplements in the context of getting your nutrients from supplements versus getting them from whole foods, as well as I want to touch a little bit on fortified foods and how those are different from actually getting the nutrients that are found in whole foods. And I also want to make a disclaimer here that People are all very different and just because something works for me or I talk about a client or a patient who did something does not mean that you should go out and do the same thing. There is often so much more that goes into these decisions than just something like, for me, I live in Alaska and therefore I need to supplement with vitamin D. So all of the things that I'm sharing today are are meant to inform you and help you to make an informed decision along with your personal healthcare practitioner. And if you don't have a healthcare practitioner who even wants to talk about supplements or whole food nutrition, send me an email because I would love to talk to you about this. So I tend to take for granted the fact that I know that there's a huge difference between the nutrients that you get from whole foods and the nutrients that are used to create most vitamins and supplements, but I realize that not everyone understands this difference. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, but I take my multivitamin as an excuse for eating a nutrient-poor diet. It's also really important to keep in mind that just as with packaged foods, supplements are a multi-billion dollar industry, and while you might think that their goal is to help you get healthier, it's actually to make money. So yeah, there are some companies out there who have a genuine interest in your health, but the ultimate goal of most of these companies within this industry is to make money. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but just remember that before you decide that you need something based on what it says on the outside of a bottle. Now let's use a carrot as an example. So a carrot has tons of nutrients in it. It's probably best known for its beta-carotene content, which is actually a precursor to vitamin A, Um, but it's also got some vitamin C and about 200 other identified nutrients and phytochemicals. And phytochemicals, which if you don't remember from when we talked about this before, are compounds that are found in plants and are necessary for our health. So these 200 nutrients work together in ways that we have yet to discover and don't really understand. Science has identified somewhere around 5,000 phytochemicals, but there are far more than that that exist, and it's possible that we will never truly understand the power of plants. Now, if you look at the label of your standard multivitamin, you'll probably feel pretty good about the fact that it lists 20 different vitamins and minerals in varying percentages of daily value, and we take that and we feel like we're doing a good thing for our bodies. The problem with this is that first, the micronutrients that we get from supplements are not very well absorbed. Remember the 200 compounds in the carrot? All of those 200 compounds work together to help us get the best beta carotene absorption we can. So when we just give our body beta carotene, it can't actually use it very well unless we've provided the other cofactors that are needed to absorb and utilize it. And also a side note, that beta carotene precursor to vitamin A, but it's actually not a very good conversion rate that happens. So just because you're getting plenty of beta carotene does not mean that your body is converting it into vitamin A because the conversion is pretty inefficient even in somebody who is healthy. So also remember that many synthetic forms of vitamins can't actually be used by our bodies because they don't, our body doesn't really recognize them. So another good example um, related to the carrot is the idea that eating tomatoes, so lycopene they've determined is good for prostate tissue. So eating tomatoes actually has more positive effects on prostate tissue than an equivalent amount of supplemented lycopene. And this is because of what we call food synergy. So all of those other compounds that are present in the whole food do more good than we understand and interact in ways that we haven't figured out yet. Supplements tend to contain only the nutrients that have actually been identified as important, but are missing the other bits and pieces that allow your body to put the whole puzzle together. Also, many of these nutrients need to be consumed in a specific combination with other nutrients in order to provide your health, um, sorry, in order to improve your health, and some nutrients actually compete with each other. So taking them in the same pill means that you might actually not benefit from either one of them. And as a culture, we tend to subscribe to the idea that if some is good, then more must be better. So, vitamins often get packed with these huge doses of comp- certain compounds. And taking supplements with high doses or taking isolated forms of vitamins and minerals can have some negative consequences. You might see some benefit in the beginning, but over time it can actually put more stress on your body and create further deficiencies. The best example that I can think of this is. Um, any multivitamin that contains B vitamins. When you take them, your pee turns bright yellow. And that means that your body is essentially filtering out the the B vitamins and you're excreting them in your urine. I also have no proof or research to back this up, but that's mostly just because I haven't looked for it, but not doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. But I would also assume that because of this phenomenon combined with the knowledge that much of what is present in vitamins and supplements isn't recognized by your body or can't be used by your body, that most supplements actually place unnecessary stress on your liver. Because remember that your liver has to filter out all of the toxins and other things that you excrete as waste out of your system. And your liver needs some very specific nutrients. If you remember from the episode... I don't remember what number it was, but we talked about um, detoxing, Um, your liver needs some very specific nutrients to work properly and efficiently. So making more work for it while not adequately replacing the nutrients that it needs just really makes the whole problem worse. And for fat-soluble vitamins, which B vitamins are fat-soluble, your body can't really absorb them without fat. So they're present in nature often in conjunction with fat, but when you take them in a pill form, unless you're eating fat along with that pill, your body just can't utilize them and that's part of the reason why they end up getting excreted in your urine. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to go and throw away all of your supplements and never touch them again but it does mean that you need to learn how to read labels. And as always, you should absolutely aim to get all of your nutrition from real whole foods. However, there are some cases where you just need more nutrition or some more targeted supplementation, and this is when reading labels will help you find a good supplement. If a nutrient is listed in the ingredients as a food, then that means that it's a whole food source. Usually the nutrient that it represents is listed in parentheses or vice versa with the nutrient listed and the whole food source in parentheses. If it's just a chemical name on the list like thiamin or ascorbic acid, which is vitamin C, then it's probably a synthetic source. It's also important to remember that more is not better. And most foods do not have over 100% of the RDA, which is the recommended daily allowance of any vitamin or mineral, though there are exceptions to this. For example, oysters have about 600% of your RDA for zinc and about 320% of the RDA for vitamin B12. And I think clams have over 1000% of your RDA for vitamin B12, but that is not the norm with most foods and from what i could find in a quick search was actually pretty common with most seafood and organ meats but not so much in any fruits or vegetables so if you see any vitamin listed in more than 100% on the label it's likely from a synthetic source i also want to point out that getting over 100% of your rda of most vitamins and minerals isn't necessarily a bad thing However, it can become a bad thing if you are always getting that from a supplement. And that just goes back to the idea that there are tons of cofactors and phytochemicals in whole foods that help you metabolize and utilize the vitamins and other nutrients present in the food. So it's rare to get any sort of vitamin toxicity from whole food sources, but it's actually surprisingly easy to have that happen from a supplement or a pill form of a vitamin. I also wanna touch on enriched foods really quickly. Now, my very first problem with these foods is that most of them are foods that I personally choose not to eat and tend to recommend that others don't eat either. These are things like bread, pasta, corn, flour, juice, cereal, and milk. Most of these things are processed foods and relying on processed foods for your vitamins is probably a worse strategy than relying on a low-quality multivitamin. Also, the substances that are used to enrich these foods are definitely synthetic. And because I highly doubt that anybody would buy milk that was fortified with vitamin D that came from beef liver, um, I do, however, understand this strategy. We are a society that is horribly deficient in vitamin D, so we put it in milk, which is something that a lot of people drink. The problem becomes that then people think that they need to drink milk to get vitamin D, and that's not really a great example, but you get my point. So suddenly milk becomes an essential food for both its calcium and its vitamin D content, and that's definitely not essential. You can get both vitamin D and calcium from other, and in my opinion, superior sources. Now, don't get me wrong, I do occasionally enjoy a serving or two of gluten-free pasta without any regard for the fact that it's fortified with synthetic vitamins, but I do not rely on it to get my vitamins. That's the difference. And since I'm advocating for getting all the nutrients that you need from whole nutrient-dense foods... I figured that the least that I could do was take a little bit of time to talk about the best ways to utilize food as a supplement rather than taking pills as a supplement, even if that pill is a whole food source. And I really just think that this is the best place to start, especially if you are a relatively young, healthy, and active person. And by young, I would say anyone under the age of 40 or 45, because if you don't have any serious or chronic health issues, then it's really unlikely that you need a lot of supplementation outside of a balanced whole foods diet. So what should you eat if you want to use food as your supplements? Bone broth is going to be a great source of calcium, which you definitely don't want to be getting from regular milk. I need to do an episode on this um, about dairy and calcium. I think I have an old blog post about it that I'll link to in the show notes but a lot of people are eating, who are eating a paleo diet are worried about their calcium intake because they aren't drinking milk. So you can definitely get plenty of calcium from bone broth and you don't have to just eat soup every day to get plenty of bone broth. You can use it in your cooking or drink it as your morning or evening hot beverage. And even if you eat something like rice, you can cook your rice in it and that will give you tons more nutrients. Liver and heart are also super nutrient dense and I know you're probably turning your nose up at these. I have yet to be able to eat liver. My mom always used to try to sneak it into things and I would always know. But you can find some recipes where you can hide a little bit in with other ingredients and you probably won't know it's there. Even if you are just sneaking in like a tablespoon or two into a whole pound of ground beef, that is so much better than nothing. Fermented foods are a great source of probiotics, and I'm going to talk about those more in a minute. Shellfish is another great source of micronutrients. In a lot of cases, it's actually better than organ meats for certain micronutrients, and as I mentioned earlier with oysters and clams, having tons of zinc and vitamin B12. The other really important thing about fish and shellfish is their omega-3 content. Now, this becomes especially important if you're eating nut or nut butters more than a few times per week because those tend to have more omega-6s than omega-3s. And I think that I've talked about this on the show before, but you really want to make sure that you're getting more omega-3s than omega-6s and fish and shellfish are a great way to do that, and those um, foods can balance out the omega-6s you might be getting from nuts. And then, of course, there are vegetables, all the vegetables. We've talked about this a lot, um, but they are full of nutrients and phytochemicals that you can't really get anywhere else, like um, antioxidants and polyphenols. So make sure that you're getting plenty of vegetables. And that's really important in making sure that you're getting all of the nutrients that your body needs. I just wanted to tackle one question that I get about supplements a lot, and that is whether or not you should be taking a probiotic with or without food. Now, a probiotic supplement is something that a lot of people benefit from. But again, I'd be sure to talk with your healthcare professional before you start or stop taking one. When you look at the natural sources of probiotics, some you get from a food source and some you would get from other sources. So probiotics traditionally come from dirt and are present on food, like dirt on food, and because dirt has probiotics in it and the food is grown in the dirt, so the probiotics get on the food. You can also get probiotics from fermented foods, so things like sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, and other fermented foods. When you look at probiotic supplements, a lot of them are made with organisms that are naturally occurring in the large intestines. So most companies will recommend that you either take them with or without food on the bottle. And the reason you would take them without food is because you want the organisms to be delivered to your large intestines without having any sort of input that would make them grow so that they actually make it to the large intestines and then when they get there, they can grow and thrive. The reason that you would want to take them with food is that it kind of mimics the way that you would get them naturally. So you would naturally be getting them from either from food or off of food, or if you ate dirt, not that a lot of people choose that route, but getting them with food would cause them to grow as they travel down your digestive tract, and that helps them survive so that when they get to your large intestines, you can ensure that they are still alive. And the reason that I wanted to bring this up is because this there really isn't a great answer to this. So, some companies actually do testing to determine whether or not you should take your their supplement with or without food. Um, so I would and others don't, but I would recommend doing whatever it says on the bottle of the probiotic that you do take in case that in case they have done testing. But the reality is that there's no clear answer, and one way or another wouldn't be better or worse when you look at the evidence. You can also, do some experimentation and try it with food and if that's not working try it without after a couple of weeks of trying it with i have sort of a combo approach to this where i only take probiotics occasionally when i'm not eating a lot of fermented foods or sometimes if i feel like i just need a little extra digestive support if i'm taking it regularly it gets put in with my other supplements so i'm taking it with food but if it's an extra thing, I usually take them at night before I go to bed, so without food. And I can't say that I have personally noticed much of a difference between the two, but that doesn't mean that switching it up won't make a difference for you. And this is a really good point about self-experimentation. So when there isn't a clear answer in the science or in some what we call anecdotal evidence, when there's not one clear way that one, one way works clearly better than the other, self-experimentation is a really good way to figure that out because everybody is so different and what works for one person might not work for another so when as long as it's not going to cause you any harm um, doing some self-experimentation in the face of unclear evidence is a really good way to figure it out there's a lot i mean providers healthcare providers are probably split 50 50 about whether or not you should take a probiotic with or without food and that's just because of this clear lack of of evidence in one direction or another. So this is one of those cases where the science backs up, you do what works for you. I also wanted to briefly talk about vitamin D because it's really important and there's a lot of conflicting information out there. So the best way to get vitamin D is through sun exposure. You should aim for 15 to 20 minutes of sun exposure on your arms and face a few times per week. This could be, this is enough for most people, but if you live in a northern climate or you have dark skin, then you may need more. Um, One of the other benefits of this sunlight being out in the sun for 15 to 20 minutes a day is actually the effect of the blue light on your circadian rhythm. So I think it's the blue light on your retinas actually monitor, or regulates your circadian rhythm. So that's one of the problems with people who don't spend much time outside during daylight hours tend to have more sleep issues because their body doesn't get enough bright light to know that it's time to be awake and their internal clock gets all kinds of messed up. So the light outside is significantly brighter and more intense than any sort of light inside. So you need to get light on your eyeballs daily. Back to vitamin D, you can also get small amounts of vitamin D in foods. So foods like sardines, beef liver, pasture-raised pork are all good sources. But dietary vitamin D is not likely to fully meet your needs, but it's definitely a good way to make sure that you are staying topped off on your levels. If you live in a northern climate, and what I mean by northern climate is that I think that anybody who lives north of the um, north of Atlanta in the United States is at risk for vitamin D deficiency, definitely in the winter months. And I can't remember what the other northern latitude is that's for um, people who are at risk for year-round vitamin D deficiency. I want to say that it's Minneapolis, but I don't think it's quite that far north. It might be more like Seattle. Um, so if you live north of Atlanta, you are at a risk for vitamin D deficiency during the wintertime. And if you live north of, we're going to say Seattle, you're at vitamin D risk of vitamin D deficiency pretty much year round. So if you live in these northern climates, you will likely need to supplement with vitamin D at least part of the year. But I definitely highly encourage you to get your levels tested and monitored by a practitioner because everybody responds to supplements differently and everybody metabolizes vitamin D differently. So while I may need 10,000 I use daily, you might do fine with one or 2,000 daily. But the only way to know that is to test, to supplement, and then to retest. Also, a lot of people are scared to go out in the sun without sunscreen because of the risk for skin cancer. But not only does sunscreen not fully protect you from the deeper penetrating um, cancer-causing UVA rays, but it also blocks the UVB rays that we actually need to create vitamin D. And there are studies that show that vitamin D deficiency actually plays a role in most cancers, so making sure that you're getting sun on your skin is important, but not don't spend so much time outside in the bright sun that you get burned because that would increase your risk for cancer. So there's evidence that says that having enough vitamin D actually reduces your risk of developing most types of cancer. All right. So that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're enjoying this show, I would love it if you would head on over to iTunes and leave a, re- a reviewer rating. This helps other people find the show. Show notes for this episode will be available at marthaflorence.com episode 12. That's episode one, two. Thanks so much for listening and I will see you next week.